Alright, Mast. Hi. Nice Hi. to meet you. Hey. Welcome listeners to the podcast Communicate with the World, sponsored by Europe Direct. Don't believe tourists, we ask the locals. Today I'm walking with Mast Nassan. Welcome to my podcast. What a cool thing to have someone from Syria here and even a talk from Syria. No, he's Lebanese. He's Lebanese. Oh, so you got him in Lebanon. Yeah. Really cool to have you both here. So, Mast, I found out you're from a big family from Syria. I already Googled you and I found some pictures from the Nassan Palace. Amazing, impressive, really. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How come that you're here? And give us a little bit input about your life story and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, I, I come from Damascus, from Syria. My family is one of, like, not the oldest, because Damascus is, one, is the oldest continually inhabited capital in the world, so um, it has a lot of old families that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. My family's history in Damascus can be traced back until 1790. Like, that's as far as I managed to go back. Yeah, so, I mean... I'm very proud of my family's history and that we've lived in the same place for all those years. Um, but eventually at 18, when I finished school, I decided to go and pursue my studies in Lebanon. And so I went there and lived there for seven years. I did my bachelor there at the American University of Beirut. And then after that, I was thinking of, yeah, I want to do a master. And I had been to Vienna before. I'm a huge classical music fan, particularly Beethoven. And so I felt like Vienna would be the right city for me. And uh, I moved here in 2016, well, end of 2015. And yeah, I've been here ever since. Really interesting. And so how is life nowadays in Syria? You just have been there, right? You told me yeah. it was. So give us a small input how life is there now. I mean, it's, It's a very different life than the one I had when I was living there. So I left Syria two years before the war that started uh, in 2011. I left in 2009. And when I left Syria, it, was, it felt like it was going on the right track in terms of at least development, um, not politically speaking, but just economically, it may have been going into the right direction. Things were opening up. Um, but then... With the war and uh, and everything that happened in between, the country itself as a country suffered a lot, and it's no it's not the same country as before the war, but it's still a beautiful country nonetheless. Damascus was luckily spared from any conflict, so like the entire conflict and and small battles, nothing happened within Damascus. There were some explosions in the beginning or some fightings in the countryside of Damascus, but nothing within Damascus city. So thankfully, the oldest continually inhabited capital in the world is still as it looks like for a very long time. Um, the oldest inhabitant capital, capital in the world. Oh, really? Yeah. It's throughout it's history. It's always been a capital city. Like whenever there's reference of Syria, you can can find some references of mentioning Damascus. Syria as a concept didn't, as a country name, everything didn't exist at the time. But Damascus did. And Damascus is in the Bible, already New and Old Testaments. Um, actually, my street, 
that I live in Damascus is, is called the Straight Street, and it is mentioned directly in the Bible. It's very biblical, and wow. just knowing that and, and being aware that this is where I grew up or where my country is, is, is something very special. To For know sure, your yeah. country is in the Bible, your street is in the Bible. It's in the Bible, yeah. So we have, we have a very important piece of history. But more about now, Damascus became overcrowded, given that many people from the neighboring cities, and, every, and since I told you Damascus was not impacted directly by the war, so people from cities where the war really destroyed their houses eventually had to move to Damascus. So what I noticed before and after, now it's way more crowded than it used to be. I mean, the numbers that people are saying is about 5 million people living in Damascus. Um, it's a big city, but it's not much bigger than Vienna. I don't think it's even bigger than Vienna. I think maybe they're around the same size. And 5 million people. And 5 million people are living here compared to 2 million. I mean, but again, Vienna is (laughs) too empty. We are too full, so (laughs) it's a thin balance. Yeah, you're used to that. For me, already Vienna is crazy. It's huge, exactly, exactly. So uh, there is that difference. There is, of course, economically, the country is very, very... uh, screwed up economically Mm -hmm. it's throughout the war um, our currency yeah it got depreciated but not as bad as when the war when the fighting stopped so since 2019 when lebanon crashed our economy crashed with it because most syrians would keep their money in lebanese banks because we didn't have really a concept of private banking in syria and then as the lebanese economy crashed so did ours and in addition to war, in addition to sanctions, in addition to everything, it is very hard for an average Syrian to to get the most basic of, of, of things that they would want. So that is something that one can really see, whereas in the past, we our economy was really strong. Um, most Syrians would, with a small salary, be able to still do everything that they would want to do in, in their life, be able to travel within the country. So the country has mountains, has desert, has sea. So actually a big potential. Big potential for everything. Um, I mean, skiing, I personally have never heard of anyone skiing in Damascus, but I know that the Golan Heights, part of it, which, I mean, the Golan Heights are a sensitive topic between Syria and uh, Israel. There are parts of it are Syrian and still are within Syrian territory and they do get, we have some mountains that would get some snow, but I mean, I guess we've never really developed the skiing uh, aspect. Well, yeah, other problems then. Exactly. It's always funny that people around me always started to speak about skiing. Yeah, I mean, you went to Lebanon and <laughs> in one day you decided to go skiing in shorts and then go swimming. True. I had to mention it. <laughs> well, thanks for that. But yeah, it's definitely not the most important thing when we speak about Syria to speak about ski areas. But yeah, never mind. Crazy, it's... We, I even can't imagine to live such a life and to have big changes like this. Really crazy. But how does it work now? There is no economical grow there. There are not a lot of jobs, I guess. So how people are surviving there? How they get money for their daily life? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an open question. I mean, according to you, the UN, over 40% of Syria now lives below the poverty line. We are one of the almost maybe two or three countries now where cholera, a disease that was eradicated over 100 years ago, is back. So we have cases of cholera in Syria. So, I mean, I wouldn't really say people are able to live their lives. 
normally or even get by um, are, are like basically very simply one US dollar in 2009 was equivalent to 50 Syrian pounds one US dollar today is equivalent to 5,000 Syrian pounds well crazy yeah so it's quite similar like with the Lebanese currency right yeah yeah but the difference is and it's not that we're competing who's worse but we are sanctioned they're not yeah. so we don't even we even if we wanted to find ways of getting foreign investment of getting some form of uh, reconstruction effort plus Lebanon was not at a, a at a war before their economic crisis so they don't have the reconstruction needs whereas for us if you go to certain cities they're all in the they're they're all destroyed and so these you in Europe had the Marshall Plan we are dreaming of a Marshall Plan in Syria but unfortunately there was no political change as a result of the war and um, we are what we are we are yeah, still suffering yeah, to some extent, to a large extent, actually. Um, but for different reasons. I mean, yeah, that's too much politics for now. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but you already said it's not possible that many people can live their normal life because there are not a lot of economical chances. So probably the tourism would help, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of beautiful things in Syria to see. So a friend of mine has been with you in... Damascus and he showed me some pictures I was impressed there's such a lot of history and so many things to see just give us a short input what you can do in Syria what would be possible to do there mm. in the Damascus for example but also on the countryside well one thing you need to know and as I've mentioned already a few times Damascus is as old as recorded history and with such an age you can see it so in Syria, you can see almost every civilization that passed through the country, and there were many. I mean, most people have to see when they go to Damascus is the Grand Umayyad Mosque. It is um, one of the largest mosques in the world. It's the fourth most important mosque in Islam. But funny enough, it's, and it's also older than Islam. So it was pre, in, I think around the year 100 AD, it was established as a temple of Jupiter. And you can still see the gate that was the main gate of the temple of Jupiter. It's still there. And then eventually it became a Christian cathedral. The John the Baptist, who is the person who baptized Jesus, um, I think you may have heard like of, I want the head on a silver platter, yeah. this thing. So it was John the Baptist's head that was put on a silver platter. And it is said that his head is buried inside the Umayyad Mosque and what was formerly uh, a cathedral. And uh, so just you can see in just that one building that's now over 2,000 years old, three different cultures and religions went through it. Um, and this is what you will see in most of Syria. So you can't really put a single identity on Syria as it's a Muslim country, or it's a Christian country. It's not. It's a very diverse country. And you can see the diversity. You can see ancient churches and you can see ancient mosques. Mm -hmm. um, so many previous empires used Syria. So we were part of the Ottoman Empire for about 400, 500, 450 years. During that period, 
Arabism as a concept and Arabism as a culture was allowed to continue and to, to like they didn't suppress our language, they didn't suppress our religion and everything, but it was no longer the enlightenment period of of the Arab world. It was actually as you as Europe was enlightening, we were actually going back in time. Um, I see. And you can see all of you can see really Ottoman, Umayyad, Abbasin, um, Ayyubid, Roman, everything. I mean, the main one of the gates of Damascus has been there since 200 AD. It's the one that enters the straight street. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a lot of history is just there. What Damascus or Syria is, you would go there if you want history. If you're a history fanatic and you're curious about seeing how history develop, how it's intertwined and how people until now live in streets that are thousands of years old and, and just beautiful, then that's where Syria is. And um, you can even see the European influence. And I'm not even talking colonial, recent colonial influence. I'm talking crusaders. We, like the crusaders, when they came to liberate, as they thought they were going to do, Jerusalem, mm -hmm. um, they, they continued to Syria. And in Syria right now, um, we have one of the most well-preserved crusaders castles that are still there and it's a huge castle and I mean some parts of it you would look and you would feel like it's it's very gothic it's uh, some windows even would strike me a bit as Westminster style windows and actually it was uh, King Richard Lionheart who who commissioned the invasion of uh, Syria and you can see that you can see something that a castle that is still standing that is at least 800 years old well, I'm really happy to hear that so many historical things are still exist there that they not get mm. bombed or something like that. No, but a lot did. A lot did, but... We have to remember that in addition to, let's say, normal fighting groups, so normal as in rebels or free Syrian army, as in even the Syrian government, these are, let's say, normal groups mm -hmm. fighting each other. We had abnormal groups like ISIS yeah. and those abnormal groups their views on everything from life to history to civilization to culture is very different than everyone else because the others I mean they would destroy historical parts like the normal groups as we call them they would destroy history but that wouldn't be their direct intention it would maybe it would be I don't know I'm not in their minds but um, with ISIS no it was its mission was to destroy parts of history. So one of the treasures of Syria is called Palmyra, and it's, it was its own empire that rebelled against the, the Roman Empire. Palmyra still survived, survived 1700 years. It was, thankfully it was a desert, so it was sandy, so everything was sort of preserved by the sand by until the sand, yeah. um, the, they were excavated. And then in 2015, ISIS, took it and then they destroyed some of the most important uh, temples that were there mm, yeah. they destroyed um, one of the best preserved amphitheater they thankfully that was not massively destroyed but uh, they destroyed some of the arches and to make matters worse they beheaded the person who actually uncovered Palmyra back in the 50s um, because he refused to tell them where the treasure was mm. we don't know if there was any treasure but he is internationally viewed as 
a leader in archaeology and uh, yeah so very sad there is the, i can't say history has not been impacted aleppo has been massively destroyed aleppo it's a big argument who is older damascus or aleppo we claim we're a capital so we say we're older but aleppo claims it's older as a city um it's it's history is damascus is syria yep well is it actually possible at the moment to visit syria it is not impossible it is possible um in addition to the common friend that we had i saw several several groups of tourists in syria it is mostly possible through agencies so through travel agencies um Syria, the Syrian government wants to treat the rest of the world in reciprocity. And while Syrians can't get a visa anywhere, I recently have been trying to get a visa to go to Egypt, which was a country that was united with Syria for three years. And I couldn't get it. And um, obviously, needless to say, most Syrians cannot get a visa to Europe. Mm. And so as a result, the government is deciding... Yeah, it's going to be hard for you guys to get a visa as well, which is a bit counterproductive because we need, need tourists. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need the tourists and the money. And, and so it's like, how big do I want to be? Do I want to be like, yeah, I'm serious. You have to respect me and you have to apply for a visa. So you can almost certainly get a visa as a, as a European if you've never been to Israel. This is a main condition to be to, to go to Syria or to Lebanon. You cannot have been to Israel or have any Israeli stamp on your passport. This is the only sort of thing that if you have it and you apply for a visa, I wouldn't even go and check if I got my visa because you will feel that. Yeah, I see. But to get to be able to go to Syria, you would have to check with certain um, travel agencies. I have a few that I've met in Syria when I was there and they told me how they would help arrange that. Um, but to just go there as a single traveler, it may be possible. It will not be easy. Yeah. Um, and Syria is not a country. Yeah. It's possible, but not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one thing you need to keep in mind, you're not going to be able to communicate in English with most people. Will you will find some people that you can be able to communicate with. But um, in general, English is not a widely spoken language. Arabic is almost the exclusive language you will people will go out of their way to explain to you certain things maybe use three four words in english and sign language and you will get how to get from a to b and everything Mm, Um, body language always helps too yeah 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 i see nice so uh would you say the war is over in syria the fighting is over for now but the war, no war is over until there's a settlement. And there is no political settlement at the moment. Um, so no, the war is not over. But if you travel to Damascus, you're safe. If you travel almost three quarters of Syria, you will feel like there's, you, there are lots of checkpoints. So there's lots of military checkpoints where they would just look at your passport, ask you questions where you're going, um, put your name into the system so that they can track that you've been here, and especially because as a Westerner or as a, as a non-Syrian, um, should something happen to you in Syria, even with all the sanctions and with everything that's about, like all the hatred towards the Syrian government, it would be very, very 
problematic for the Syrian government also if something happens for you, uh, even if, you, if we don't have any relationships yeah, yeah. with your country. It's, it recognizes that there's, and this is the same, I think when we were in Lebanon, I, I told you the exact same thing mm. as well. And so you won't be in danger yeah. if you're in Syria, you, because first you can't go alone. So our friend came with me. I had to contact these uh, agencies, but eventually assured them that he will stay with me. He doesn't need to stay in a hotel with them. He doesn't need a tour guide with them all the time. So I'm not saying North Korea style, as in you don't get a single minute alone. Um, but when in Damascus, you would be free. But when you want to go outside of Damascus, that is where it's better to be escorted by uh, someone. But you also mentioned the checkpoint. So... In Syria, there is no airport at the moment, right? There is, but flights... You can only fly to about four or five destinations. And these are not destinations that would make logical sense for someone coming from Europe. Yeah, I mean, and this is all more political than anything else. Why don't we have uh, flights from Syria? Also, um, our neighboring country that we don't have any political relations with tends to go and bomb our airport every other month. So it did it in July and it did it again in September. And uh, Would you say that it would, as is it normal? But for you probably it is. For me it sounds... It's weird. not normal because yeah, for 40 years before the war we were at war, but not a single shot was ever fired in uh, between us. But since the war and since Syria was no longer the strong... Middle Eastern state that has its role in the region. Um, it, Israel found it easier to do some incursions every now and then. They have their reasons, their political reasons. They're not, they don't claim they're targeting Syrian troops or Syrian nationals and everything, but rather foreign fighters in Syria. Um, but again, it's a political game. It's, the Middle yeah. East is a very... We are probably <laughs> already too long for our interview, but Syria is so interesting, so we have to make an extended version for this podcast. Anyway, is there any hidden spot which you would suggest people if they go there, which they really have to see if you go to Syria? Um, there is not a single spot, but I can at least... I can count, let's say, five... Things that people have to see when they go to Syria and not just Damascus. One would be the entire old city of Damascus. It's all, it's all sort of surrounded by an ancient wall, ancient Roman wall. And all of this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So just walking in the streets, going to... There are... I don't need to tell you. You can do a bit of research. Just what are some things to see in old Damascus? So old Damascus as a, as a place, I would put it as number one, just because it's also where I live. So I'm maybe not too objective about that. Number two would be Crac de Chevalier, which is this um, castle that I told you survived from the uh, Crusaders. Yeah. Number three would be the Bosra Amphitheater, which is a Roman amphitheater that is made out of... Um, Basalt, which is one of the hardest rocks to carve. And it, basalt, basalt is this material that forms from lava, oh, okay. from um, volcanoes. So it's a volcanic thing. And um, it's a really beautiful Roman amphitheater um, that's more in the southern part of uh, Syria. And Aleppo as a whole, as a whole city, is a must-see. Still? Mainly because the citadel of Aleppo is the oldest citadel in the world and um, it is 
not so impacted. I mean, it survived so much wars and earthquakes that thankfully even the Syrian war and all the new modern weaponry couldn't destroy it. So tells you a lot about the quality. And the last thing I would suggest would be, I mean, Palmyra, but Palmyra is not, I, I can't get myself to go to Palmyra right now until they fully refix it and everything mm. looks somewhat the same. I can't, I've seen it about nine times in my life, so I can't see it destroyed. But I would definitely suggest the Hama, the Noiras in Hama. So these are water wheels that are also thousands of, 1,500 years old. And they were used to transport water to uh, agricultural lands and they still work. And they're very, very huge and very, very loud. Amazing, even a list of the top five points. Well, Marsh, thanks a lot for all the great input and all the tips and telling us the current situation in Syria. So do you have any last words which you want to tell? Sure. Um, first, Austrians in general have been extremely welcoming, at least to me and to most people that I know, most Syrians that I know that managed to come here for different reasons, whether it be it for studies or whether you had to seek refuge. And so um, I feel like Austrians are very well aware that Syrians are not so different. I mean, we're all humans, we're all not so different. But at the same time, also, Syria as a country, until very recently, was a country with a good education standard. Um, and so, and people in general, because we have so many cultures in Syria, we have, I mean, I'm Christian, but we, uh, we are about 10% in Syria are Christian, about 10% are Alawites, and you have some Druze, and you have some Sunnis and some Shias and some Alawites. And so we are very, we're a very diverse country. And so it's not what comes to mind when you would imagine, um, when you would imagine, oh, Syrians, you, if you've never heard of or have any knowledge about Syria, you would maybe think it's a country where there's sort of one ethnicity or one main sect that controls everything. But this diversity and the fact that it was a massive tourist hub and that it went under so many different occupations or political relations that made the people very cosmopolitan. So while they may not be able to speak certain languages, they are fast learners. They're able to immediately get into the culture, know the differences and, and adapt. We're not here to burden anyone. We don't mm. want to burden anyone. In our country, we didn't have social security. So if you become unemployed, your, job, your role is to go and find another job and do work better and to be better employed. And so people don't have this need to come here and depend on as like you have FPÖ wanting you to think that all we want to do is just not learn German, not do anything, not work and just get free social security uh, money. But that's not, that's not it. You have Syrians that are willing to let go of their doctorate degrees and I know three people who have who are doctors who were doctors in Syria but they had to repeat their entire education to be doctors in Syria in Austria in and Austria. then they decided to go instead to do some optician or whatever even though they are full medical doctors they're willing to do anything and not be dependent on a state that has been very kind to us and so this is how I would like to sort of end it by we see you Austrians and we know that you see us Really important words to the end and really big words. Thanks for that, Mast. So please be so kind and say thanks to our listeners mm -hmm. in Arabic and hopefully see you once in Syria. Yeah. Shukran ilak and shukran ilkun. And inshallah, we'll see you in Syria.
Perfect. And what I end. Thanks a lot, man. Welcome. It was so interesting. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Nice. I yeah, really imagine if it didn't work. Don't believe tourists. We ask the locals. Hey guys. We'd love to know what you thought about this episode. You can send us a message on our Instagram channel. And if you like this story, please share it. All information about this podcast you can find on our website communica.at and follow us on your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. I'm your host Marco, thanks for listening and don't trust the tourists. We ask the locals. <laughs>